The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are absolutely in the right place. The buzz today, HR outside the U.S. Let's get started. HR practices in Western countries can differ significantly from those in Eastern countries. How? Well, we're talking about organizational structure. We're talking about motivation, communication, and, ooh, conflict resolution. Who wants to talk about that? So whose country's HR is the most successful? Well, according to professor and author Dr. Michael J. Markhart, and I quote, American companies think they're the keepers of the best management practices. Consequently, they don't try to learn as much as they can from other places, unquote. So the question today is, is it time for U.S. HR leaders to take a page from other countries' HR playbooks? We're covering this topic as part two on HR makes the world go round, practices outside the U.S. And I'd like to introduce our panel now, the experts speak. First up on the panel is a return guest. He's been on many times. I'm happy to welcome back Patrick Heffernan. He's a practice manager for TBR's professional services practice. And Patrick sent me a quote from Abraham Lincoln. I think Abe Lincoln would be very happy to be here on Coffee Break with Game Changers in the year 2015. And the quote is, with malice toward none, with charity for all. Patrick Heffernan, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing really well, Bonnie. Thank you very much for having me. Delighted to have you back. Talk to me. Abe Lincoln on Coffee Break with Game Changers. How is this happening? So that's out of his second inaugural address, which was in March of 1865, so exactly 150 years ago this month, which makes it kind of a cool, appropriate quote, I think. It really does. And how does it relate to HR inside the U.S., outside the U.S.? Uh, who's, who's talking to whom about best practices and why should we open up our minds? Sure. So no, no company thinks that they're a charity unless they actually are charity. Um, so the charity for all, I think, is more, a, uh, more an expression of, of how we ought to be interacting with um, not only with HR, but with everybody in our company. And then, and then malice towards none is something actually that's come out a lot recently, this idea that um, you know, when you look around, whether you're dealing up or down the, uh, the reporting chain, whether you're dealing across different business units, no matter what you're doing, you, you have to start with that idea that, that there's malice towards none, that we're all working towards the same goal, which, again, is, is of course, not charity. We're, not, we're trying to make money here, not just run an NGO. So that's, that, and I know there's no way that Abe Lincoln himself was thinking about those things when he said it 150 years ago, and he definitely didn't ever probably say the word human resources or human capital, but, um, <laughs> but he certainly knew how to lead. He knew how to manage. Uh, he was extraordinarily skilled in that regard. 
He did. Good role model there. Thank you very much, Patrick. And let me turn to one of your colleagues at TBR. It's Alan Kranz. He's a principal analyst and practice manager for TBR's cloud practice. And Alan has sent me a quote from somebody a lot more modern, actually. It's Richard Branson. Anybody hiding under a rock? Richard Branson is an English businessman and investor, best known as the founder of the Virgin Group, which now comprises at least 400 separate companies. Woohoo! So here's the quote from Richard Branson. Train people well enough so they can leave treat them well enough so they don't want to. Hmm, sounds like a fine line he's walking there, but he certainly knows the difference. Alan Kranz, welcome back. You've been on with me before. How are you? Bonnie, doing great. Glad to be back. Thank you very much. So talk to me, Richard Branson on Coffee Break. What is he doing here? Well, I mean, I thought it was appropriate to to bring in someone from outside the U.S. that has a little bit different perspective, Um, but I think it also speaks to some of the the difficulty in terms of the changes that have occurred in employment over the past 50 years where really it's incumbent upon each individual to to be able to support their own career path, uh, but at the same time look for companies that it's not just about wages anymore, it's about this whole life-work balance. There's a lot that goes into satisfaction and engagement with the job, and so I think the quote from Richard really kind of sums up some of the fine line that companies have to walk in terms of engaging with their employees, training them, but also creating an environment that they want to be part of. Yeah, very, very important. Uh, we want people to sign on. I, I, I think somebody sent a quote, maybe it was the last time we did this topic, uh, Patrick might remember it, about some uh, a very well-known business leader was asked if he would get rid of an employee with, in whom they had invested something like $600,000 in training. And he said, no, because we're giving another company the benefit of all of the investment we made in that person. Why would we hand over that expertise, that experience? Let's keep them and see if we can make it work. That certainly would be an interesting policy. And I wonder yeah. which country would, would espouse that. Thank you very much, Alan. And sure. let's welcome back our third panelist. He's also been on with me. It's Thomas Otter. He is a vice president of product management for Employee Central Success Factors, an SAP company, and Thomas has sent me a quote from John Cleese of Monty Python, and I don't have to explain who that is. Here's the quote. When we hold a world championship for a particular sport, we invite teams from other countries to play as well. Welcome back, Thomas Otter. How are you today, Thomas? Thanks. Thanks, Bonnie. Uh, Greetings from uh, London today. I happen to be uh, uh, in uh, in, uh, England today having a bunch of uh, uh, meetings with that rather, the rather strange bunch of people known as the English. So, uh, uh, welcome and uh, welcome to me, and thanks thanks for the opportunity on the on the on the chat today. Uh, the reason why I, I, I put this quote on the table today, uh, not simply to poke fun at Americans, which is my actually my main job, uh, but uh, uh, to bring up the fact that it is the world's most important sporting event at the moment going on, which is the World Cup cricket. Uh, there are literally uh, billions of people from around the world uh, with their uh, ears and eyes glued to radios and televisions uh, following the uh, fate of uh, uh, teams such as India in the World Cup cricket in Australia. So I thought uh, it was appropriate to, to, to bring up uh, that, that uh, global event on today's, uh, on today's call. And there's some, some interesting HR angles always with, uh, with, uh, with sport. And that Thank quote you. you mentioned earlier was yes. was from uh, 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 Watson, the founder of uh, uh, of ah. uh, IBM. 
Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. I'm glad we're all on the same page here. Very, very interesting. I, I was intrigued with your quote, Thomas, because our topic is HR outside the U.S. And that, I, I almost don't like the way I've worded the topic, the way we've worded the topic, because it sounds like there's the U.S. and then there's everybody else. And we know with globalization and with companies acquiring subsidiaries all over the world, Everybody seems to be global today, even very small companies. Startups have a global view. So to say HR in the U.S., I don't know of too many companies of SMBs, SMEs, midsize, and I, I asked the panel to uh, to answer me on this, Patrick and Alan Thomas, who don't have to deal with HR in a subsidiary or, or in another part of their company that's based, I'll use the quote-unquote, overseas. I don't even know what that means anymore. Across the pond, Thomas would like that. Patrick, do you agree that most companies are dealing with global needs for their HR all the time now? Yeah, it's nonstop. And, and I mean, I think yeah. it's, it's um, you know, you can you can look at the, the rise in that and, and maybe see it as a as something as a new trend. I don't think it's new at all. I think a lot of companies have been dealing with this um, sort of for for decades now. I mean, it's it's um, it's part of it's been part of well, it's just been part of. And I'm thinking more in the IT space, of course, but I think it's just been part of what we've been dealing with now for quite some time. And Alan, you agree? Um, Bonnie, I think. Uh being that we're a small analyst firm, we may have the most insular HR human resources practices you could imagine, um, but we've seen it in different ways. And if you think about it from a, a human relationship perspective instead of human resources, we're working with partners in Europe. We're working with partners in uh, India and other Asian countries, as well as customers. Um, and that, that, that type of interaction is forcing change for a very kind of northeastern uh, U.S. company to, to think about in different ways and to adjust the way that we're interacting with uh, stakeholders outside of our company. Exactly. Thomas, do you want to weigh in on that one, too? Thoughts on, on who really isn't having to face the idea of being global in their practices throughout their company today? Um, I, I, I think companies do some companies, uh, most companies today are, are at least uh, recognizing the fact. I, I, I think the, the ways of handling it differ uh, dramatically from, from uh, uh, country to country and company to, to uh, company. I think uh, the uh, companies that are headquarters in smaller countries uh, often uh, have a head start on this, but they're, they're, they've been used to it. You know, if you if you speak to a company from Luxembourg or Belgium or uh, uh, or Holland about uh, you know uh, global practices and globalization and HR practices, I think you'll find that they've, they've it's something they've been dealing with uh, uh, for for many many years. Uh, I think what's 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 fascinating at the moment is is how it's impacting you know all companies globally and not just the. Uh, uh, not just the very big ones. It's a, it's a, it really is an international trend now. Yeah, I, I'm thinking of, uh, of etiquette. I'm thinking of global etiquette when I think of human relations, human capital, when I'm thinking of HR and relationships between companies, employees, and their management. And management, of course, are still employees. Uh, I was watching a... Uh, I don't know what you'd call it, a government spy kind of a drama called Scorpion. Uh, it's a newcomer to network TV a couple of months ago, and they were faced with tri a, a group of geniuses is in working as a consulting group with the FBI and the CIA, and they're called in to help a peace talk between two warring countries. 
Woohoo, don't we all know what that's about today? And uh, a young woman on the team had researched the history of the countries. And she said, no, don't shake. This person shouldn't shake this person's hand because in this moment in time in the meeting, that's considered an insult. So it was like she was punting as HR saying, these are practices. These are values and etiquette that is not going to be considered acceptable by another country. And, And I think that I'm guessing that probably has something to do with value systems and how you engage your employees. And what I mentioned in my opening, I'm, uh, I talked about conflict resolution, communication, motivation, not to mention organizational structure. So there, there must be very wide differences. And that's a tough bridge to cross carefully. So I have a very important question for my panel. Patrick Heffernan, you're up first, and you know exactly what I'm going to ask you. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. I want to know where are you right now and what's in your cup, or if you prefer, what will you be drinking after the show? Talk to me, Patrick. So we well, I have to I have to make a true confession first. Um, I actually put off a review for our one of my analysts, one of my team members, who's actually based in uh, Bulgaria, um, it, and it was her performance review that I was supposed to do this morning, and I put it off in order to prepare for the show. So there's an example of etiquette and HR <laughs> probably going the wrong way, uh, at least this morning. <laughs> Um, but uh, I'm sitting in one of our offices. We uh, we've named all our conference rooms after famous or after uh, Hollywood movies that have famous uh, conference room scenes. So I'm sitting in the Wall Street conference room at the moment, and I'm drinking Ooh. ice water because my lovely bride has told me that I need to consume 64 to 70 ounces of water every day. Uh, so I have a pint glass. I fill it up with ice water, and I'm terrible at math. So I try to keep track of six or seven of these every single day. I am so proud of you. And you tell her, uh, and why ice water? That's my question. Uh, she's got you on the right track with, with the water, but why ice water, Patrick? So it's, it's <laughs> this is crazy. It's lemon, it's <laughs> lemon water. It's water with fresh lemon in it to start the morning, and then I don't bring fresh lemons into the office. I suppose I could. Uh, but no, ice yeah. water. It's just um, every day. It's supposed to be super crazy healthy for you. Well, I like super crazy healthy for all of us, so we just learned something. Thank your wife for, from all of us. Alan Kranz, where are you and what are you drinking? Uh, so I'm, I'm just down the hall from Patrick in, in, in my own office. Uh, I've been drinking this year more and more tea, and I found this particular tea. Uh, it's actually uh, from Germany, so I think it's appropriate. Uh, it's called Tea Pigs. And I love their their frank German marketing just as much as their tea. They say that uh, all other tea companies basically have dust in their bags. They have holy, and so it's yeah. uh, it's it's much much better. And um, and that it's strictly from um, from Germany, and it is the best tea that I've that I've had. So I can't disagree with them. Wow, and that's quite a marketing ploy. Talk about etiquette. All other companies have dust in their tea bags. I don't think we'll go there. I'm not going to do the study on that one. Uh, yes, what can I tell you? Thomas Otter, you are in London. I would love to know what you're drinking right now. What time of the day is it for you right now, Thomas? Uh, right now it is um, uh, 3.30 in the afternoon, 3.15 in the afternoon. And what are you and drinking, I'm, or what's uh, coming up? Drinking one of those dusty tea bags that that, uh, <laughs> uh, that we were discussing earlier. Uh, very dusty and very English. Uh, <laughs> oh, list, I love it! I love it when the etiquette allows you all to play. Thomas, Thomas, what do you go now? It's almost time for high tea because it's almost four o'clock. But is there anything a little more potent that you're going to be drinking after the show this evening? 
you want to share with us? You know, no, I'm, I'm a boring old soul. I, I, I've, I've uh, uh, taken a pause on the on, on that sort of stuff, so uh, I'll probably just be uh, drinking some more dusty tea. Okay. I think we just came up with a new branding for tea. British tea, it's dusty. What can I tell? I didn't say that. Guess what? I'm going to give my panelists a break and let them have an opportunity to drink whatever's in their cup. We're talking today with Patrick Heffernan at TBR, his colleague Alan Kranz, K-R-A-N-S, in case you're wondering, at TBR, and Thomas Otter, just like the Otter. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break. Our topic today is HR Makes the World Go Round. Practices Outside the U.S. Part 2. Yes, it was such a big topic when we covered it on November 17th, 2014, that we decided to come back and dig a little deeper into it, see if we can help all of you in our global listening audience. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Brad is out getting married this week, so I'm going to say Kevin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. We're back and we're talking about HR makes the world go round and round and round. Practices outside the U.S., meaning should U.S. HR leaders look carefully at what's going on in HR practices around the world and perhaps lift a page or two from those playbooks. And we'll find out from our panel. First up on the roundtable, I'm going to call on Patrick Heffernan at TBR. Patrick, I'm looking at the notes you sent me before the show, and I love this first comment. Let me read a little bit, and then you'll take over. You say, sabbaticals are back in places as diverse as the United Arab Emirates, Australia, and Germany. Companies have rediscovered the HR benefits of allowing allowing employees to take a sabbatical. Employees come back refreshed and reinvigorated, bringing with them new ideas and energy. And I think we go back to the original definition, Patrick, of sabbatical. That was like on the seventh day he rested. (laughs) So sabbatical is seven, seven years. Am I right? Yes. So talk to me. Right. And, you know, it's funny. You say, I hadn't thought about the rested part, but that's, um, that's critical to this. It's sort of the rest from a... It's a rest from that day-to-day work that we all do that, that, that is just, um, you know, it's a treadmill, and, and eventually you've got to get off it. And I think what it was fascinating, after our last uh, panel discussion, I, I spoke to 
folks I know in all those places and, and some other places as well um, about HR, about some of the things that they're seeing, some of the trends and, and what's really working. And I was surprised that more than a few people brought up this idea of sabbaticals. And, and mm-hmm. while the unpaid ones, I think, are relatively common, it, it's the paid ones that really surprised me. Um, the idea of saying, okay, if you want to take three months uh, off, we're going to and go off and do something else completely unrelated to your job. We're going to continue to pay you because it's worth it when you come back. You you know you have that that refreshed um, energy, that that new excitement that you bring back to the job. And and so I you know pride a bit. You know why why would companies want to invest in this? And um, you know one of the points was that that a lot of folks now are looking for that balance between the the sense of job security. It is a tough market uh, everywhere, and and you know, you want to make sure you've got some security around your job, but also that freedom to go after those passions that you have, and, and a sabbatical is an opportunity to do that. And then the other thing is innovation is, is you can't read a business uh, magazine or you can't read a business article now without innovation. Uh, well, I guess the other buzzword is disruption, so between the two. But innovation is always on folks' minds, and, and one of the questions that we get here at TBR is how do companies that innovate well do it? What it what's the, the secret sauce to um, making innovation a, a, a part of a, a company's process and, and what, what actually separates them from the competition. And so sabbaticals actually plays into that, where people come back from a sabbatical not only with, with renewed energy and, and focus, but also with some innovative ideas. They bring in something from the outside that they wouldn't have gotten if they hadn't been able to spend that time. Um, the, the questions then are, you know, how do you measure that? I mean, how do how do you measure what kind of return you got on that three months that you let somebody go off and, and uh, you know, take a painting class in Tuscany or something? Um, and, then, and then, of course, you know, is there a way not only of measuring it for the company uh, that, that allows these, that encourages these sabbaticals, but then also for those companies that have that practice in place that are actually in, uh, that are, that are taking advantage of this, is there a way to look at how they're doing compared to their peers and, and see whether or not it's starting to pay off? So th- those are the, that's where we're going um, in terms of how to measure it and the metrics on it. I was really fascinated by the why. Why do companies do this? Why pay three months for that, mm-hmm. um, for that, that sort of taking a break? Uh, and that's, that's what we heard. Sounds like a very interesting perk, but uh, the way you're describing it, it's not really a perk. It's something that has an expectation, a metric at the end of it, come back refreshed and ready to contribute to innovation. Very interesting. Alan Kranz, thoughts on what Patrick just talked to us about on sabbaticals? Yeah, I mean, so I, I mean, I think it's something that, at least in the U.S., has been kind of relegated to academic-type folks and hasn't been as, as well-ingrained, um, but I think there's a lot of merit to it. Um, in terms of specifically in terms of the innovation, because when you look at the cycle for a lot of folks that are highly innovative, they're not the type that are going to stick in one place for long periods of time. Uh, most often, they're going to be on to the next challenge, move to different um, opportunities and organizations. Uh, and so, for the companies that are big enough that can really uh, invest in this and make it part of the the standard culture. Um, you get the opportunity to hold on to those folks that maybe perhaps before would have jumped to a new opportunity after a certain period of time, give them that time off to come up with a different angle, come back and be innovative in the same company that they've been at for a certain period of time, which is the way that most of these companies are structuring it. Um, it's, you know, every after five or seven years, you get the opportunity to do it. So it's another one of those things that, 
encourages more longevity for those employees that are really valuable but have the greatest tendency to move from uh, position to position and company to company. Alan, thank you. Before I ask Thomas to jump in, question for you. Is this something that works best with certain generations in the workforce? I know I repeat over and over again, I've been told and I've heard over and over that we currently have five different generational cohorts, I think the word is, working side by side in many workforces all over the world. So the question is, does this concept of sabbatical go out and think and rest and relax, refresh, rejoy, and rejoice and come back and be more productive and innovative? Is this something that works with millennials or with people in their 40s? Are we talking about early boomers? Are we talking about late boomers? Where does this work the best? Alan, and then, of course, I want everybody else to, to answer. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would think that it would work best with the, the early boomers, those that are, mm-hmm. you know, around the 50-year time age, uh, because for a couple different reasons. One, you know, obviously there's that longevity aspect um, in terms of how long they've been in the role. They tend to be more sticky than the millennials who uh, jump around quite often or more often. Um, And also the, the, the value and the impact they can have in terms of being in a leadership position, I think, is where you get that biggest impact for coming back refreshed, come charting a new course, the execution of that is really going to be most times um, done by folks lower down in the organization, but they're looking for that visionary leader with a new idea to come in and kind of refresh. So it's not just that one individual that comes back with a different perspective. The benefit of that can be um, scaled out throughout the organization. And so I think that profile of, of worker is probably the best in terms of getting that payback and impact. Thank you. Thomas Otter, talk to us. Sabbaticals, what do you observe? So, I, I, I'll, I'll pick up uh, two, two uh, uh, sabbatical strategies that, that my employer is using, if you like, uh, if I can, in Germany. The, the, the first one is what we call a social sabbatical. And uh, what we, we, target this at, we target this at high performers, so employees that are the high performers that have performed uh, extremely well. Uh, can volunteer for a uh, three-month uh, social sabbatical where they uh, go and work typically in Africa on a social-related project. So it might be building a school, it might be uh, uh, teaching, uh, it might be uh, advising a, 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 an NGO. Uh, so this is a, uh, a, um, a reward for, for, high, uh, for high performance. So it's uh, an elective uh, uh, opportunity for, for, for top performers to uh, refresh and go and uh, but go give something back to society and that's been that's been really successful for us really across all generations all, all age groups within the within the company and that's got a lot of traction and a lot of uh, uh, attention and, and, and kudos you know, inside inside the uh, organization you know people often have 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 skills that are that they've learned through their work at at SAP, but but that can be can have uh, significant uh, uh, community or, or social uh, uh, impact. So that's been a great success for us. Uh, the, the second thing is a little bit more uh, uh, prosaic, uh, is that uh, in in, in uh, RHO processes, as an employee, you're able to save uh, into something called a time account. So. What you're able to do is take your bonuses, right, and you're able to uh, invest those into a, a, a almost like a bank account, but it's a bank account of time, 
uh, almost like a buy board vacation, but it's but it's it's um, uh, it gives you the, the 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 opportunity to 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 amass uh, a significant amount of time for uh, anything you want to do. So uh, you could take that time off. You could take three months off. Uh, uh, you could uh, take time off to do to do studies. You could uh, take time off to be with a sick family, uh, you know, with family members. Mm-hmm. You could really do what you like with your time, and it's a very uh, a tax effective and and efficient way of 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 uh, for employees to to um, uh, to leverage their their um, uh, a bonus uh, payment in a different kind of uh, in, in a different kind of way, uh, funding this idea of the of of the sabbatical on your terms and and and, mm-hmm. and when you want it. So so two examples of 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 sabbatical that, that, that we use and the and the time account model that I just explained earlier is quite common in 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 in, in, in uh, 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 German organizations it, it makes for some interesting payroll calculations but it's a very useful <laughs> uh, way of uh, 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 enabling uh, employees to 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 save for a um, so so I know one colleague for instance wanted to go around the world you know so they uh, for three or four years, all their bonuses and stuff went into this account, and they were able to amass uh, something like nine months of uh, of uh, of uh, time off, and and so they were able to take that time off on full salary and go and do uh, uh, and go and uh, travel around the world, and then come back to their come back to their uh, um, uh, 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 job, you know, refreshed, having um, having sort of backpack around the world. Uh, I don't feel like backpacking around the world, but this particular individual thought that was a great way of uh, spending their sabbatical. Very interesting. Listening to you, Thomas, it, it reminds me of a song. I don't know if you know it, but I have a guess that Patrick and Alan might. It was Jim Croce, the late, great Jim Croce, sang Time in a Bottle from his You Don't Mess Around with Jim album released in 1972. And there's a 1973 way back in history, way back in another millennium uh, YouTube video of t- if I could put time in a bottle, the first thing that I would like to do, on and on. So that's what it reminds me of, saving your time and being able to spend it some other way. And yes, I'm sure it makes for very, very very interesting calculations on salary and bonuses and all that good stuff. Patrick, do you want to wrap up the sabbatical conversation? Because I'm ready to move into another direction with Alan. So talk to me. Anything you want to wrap up? No, the only thing I want to throw out there, you know, and I think Alan and, and uh, Thomas hit on all the, the huge points, is that the at least in a couple of places, the folks that I talked to in the UAE stands out in particular, it, it's um, it's the millennials that are taking advantage of that sabbatical. Um, I know we've talked about millennials before and and what they need and want mm-hmm. and uh, and how they work. But uh, at least a couple of companies that I spoke with and they they you know said this is a pattern they're seeing among their peers as well is that they put the investment in, they find the right people, they're convinced that who they've got is who they want to keep um, long term. But they know that sort of millennial mindset of hop from employer to employer every couple of years and one way to try to hold on to them is say look we're going to we're going to give you these 3 months uh at full salary and come back refreshed and ready to go and and that's a way to keep um that particular cohort uh engaged um now if that I, i'd be surprised if that trend spills across to the US but it might mm-hmm. you never know 
You never know. We'll wait and see. Now, I want to move in the direction of a word that's come up several times in this part of the conversation. The word is salaries and wages. Alan Kranz, I'm looking at your notes, and I see some interesting points here. You say there's a smaller disparity in wages. For example, in many South American countries, minimum wages increase each year. Profit sharing can be mandated for businesses to provide to employees. You say also, as an example, in the shift in China to increase their wage structure to encourage increased consumption within their own country. And then you comment, these are both examples of how countries outside the U.S. are more proactively influencing wage levels. Why don't you expand this for us, Alan? Very interesting. And we all love to talk about money. So go ahead. Sure. Well, I mean, it's obviously been a, a hot topic uh, for, for those of us in the U.S. as we've gone through the, the minimum wage discussions and the disparity in income that comes up quite often in terms of the, the political discussions. And so, you know, when we look outside of the U.S. in terms of both what are some of the structural elements today that are different. Um, and so, you know, when we looked at in, in South America that the, they not only have a minimum wage, but the increases are actually dictated year over year. So it's not a static number as we've seen in the U.S. that was set, I don't even know how long ago, is just now being revisited. And I think, you know, I was scooping ice cream earning that um, quite a long time ago. Um, and so, you know, that there's, there are other countries that have taken a more proactive approach, uh, both in terms of the minimum wages um, and also for, um, I, I believe it was Argentina, that if you look at the regulations that I, I think it's uh, 25% of business profits are returned in profit sharing to the employees each year. And so that mandatory uh, return of uh, profit and wage to the the workers that are engaged in that economy um, is something that other countries have done in terms of uh, supporting keeping that income gap. Obviously, there's huge poverty and and disparity still, but there are for the uh, the economy regulations in place that are different than than what we see in the U.S. Um, in a country that gets a lot of focus for wage disparity, um, as we know, for any U.S. manufacturing, that China um, is starting to see, as the economy has kind of slowed, that realizing that they need to um, put more money in the pockets of workers um, in their own country in order to support overall economic growth, that they can't just be the lowest wage provider manufacturing for other countries. They need to grow that consumer segment within their own um, within, within their own borders, and so that's going to be more of a focus going forward, could impact the overall rate of growth, um, but is a realization that there needs to be that consumer base that has disposable income in order to support the, the overall growth of the economy. And so I think those are things to look at as, you know, the U.S. has gone through its own um, challenges in terms of both minimum wage as well as income disparity. Thank you, Alan. Thomas, thoughts on salaries around the world, policies? Yeah, I'd like to quote a, another famous American on that one. I don't have the quote exactly right, but uh, Henry Ford was big on this idea of paying his people enough so that they could buy a car. And uh, mm-hmm. I think he was onto something. Uh, uh, he was onto something. Uh, 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 you know, Marx had a, had a similar view that one of the things that capitalism needs to sustain itself is, uh, is uh, uh, people that can buy things. And uh, 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 if, if you're not, not able to, to, to create 
a sustainable demand for product, then 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 pretty soon you have uh, uh, problems on the on the on the supply side of things. So you know when you look to those changes you mentioned in the in the Chinese economy, I think that's just good. You know that's just good sensible behavior by the by the uh, Chinese government to to. Uh, uh, drive uh, 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 drive demand uh, and and um, I, I think there's been been you know significant concern uh, uh, about uh, the growing gap between between uh, what what the average wages or, or or what the minimum wages and and what executives are being uh, and, and what executive being 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 paid and I think you know these 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 uh, 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 Tensions are, are spilling out in the U.S. economy and, and in some and in some uh, uh, Western economies as well. So, so I don't think we have uh, 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 compensation under control at the moment. I think there have there has been uh, uh, elements of 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 of, uh, of excess at, at both ends of the uh, at both ends of the the, the uh, equation. So I think we have we have work to do both as a society and within HR to to to. To, to rethink uh, uh, some of our some of the compensation uh, 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 you know disparity you know this is just not loony left thinking if you look uh, look across you know m- many modern economists are, are concerned about the you know the hollowing out of the middle class and the and the and and uh, the the inability to drive demand in economies so so th- this is a big issue. Thank you, Patrick Heffernan. It's join us. That's an issue. It's an economic economic issue too. Okay, yeah, Thomas. The- yep, Patrick. Yeah, just one thing I would add is a little bit of a horror story from uh, Eastern Europe where, you know, and this is an HR practice that is going to be at the the small and medium-sized enterprise level and and not higher, but it's about wages and the idea that, well, the idea, the practice that's been, that's going on in in some places, and, and I think it's it's both local and then in certain industries where wages are paid at minimum. Minimum wage is all that's paid uh, on the books, and then everything else is sort of under the table. And you know, the, the, there's all kinds of tax advantages, of course, for a company in doing that. Um, there's also advantages to the company in that they can not pay uh, when they either don't have or don't want to, don't have the cash or don't want to pay it to the employees, and the employees are stuck. I mean, if you're being paid. Uh, under the table when when your employer says they don't have the money it's not like you can run to the police um so i think they're you know that's a that's a certainly a creative way to um to manage it's a creative way to uh manage your tax uh your tax problems as well but um it's again not a not a practice a, a human resources practice i think is coming to the us anytime soon not one that we should probably take any lessons from but it's a reminder that it you know it's it's a messy world, and there's a lot of messy practices out there that um, mm-hmm. that, are, that have HR implications. Good point. I'm going to move to a topic in Thomas Otter's notes here, but I have one point I want to read from Thomas's notes that will level set where he's coming from. He says, we need to be more careful about simply applying U.S. HR practices elsewhere, and the U.S. needs to be more open to learn from others. And he quotes Wharton professor Peter Capelli, who has been on one of our shows, I think HR Trends, about two years ago. Peter Capelli described U.S. HR as the weakest in the industrial world. I'm just going to let that sit on the table. But I want to move to the topic of education. I'm looking at Thomas's notes, and you say German youth unemployment is currently the lowest in the world. Industry works closely with universities on research and education. Managers see developing the next generation as part of the job. Thomas, talk to us a little bit about education policies through the lens of HR outside the U.S., please. So, so I'll talk for a few seconds about what's going on in Germany. I won't say it's perfect. Um, uh, I, I 
I'm not 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 as I'm not a German, but I, I, I live in Germany, so I have had some exposure now to the German education system. But the, the couple of things that that impressed me, uh, the uh, relationship between employers and universities is is largely a strategic one in in Germany. Um, the uh, universities work closely with with industry. Uh, to 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 design programs that are, are are suited for for industry's needs, especially in in, in fields such as engineering and computer science, uh, and and at the same time, uh, companies drive research agendas closely with the university, helping drive uh, uh, research projects. So there's this, there's this very uh, 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 strong synergy between. Uh, uh, practical uh, university-led research and 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 corporate success, and also between uh, uh, between developing educational programs that are that are, are relevant to employers, and 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 one of the things that's, that's impressed me in, in in Germany has been the the uh, continuation and modernization of the apprentice model. Uh, the, the 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 apprentice model. Uh, you know, when I first heard of it, I said, "Oh, that's quaint that you do that for bakers and candlestick makers and 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 and, and so on." You know, but the idea of of an apprentice in the corporate world uh, struck me as as when I first moved to Germany as rather quaint and bizarre. But what I've seen is I've seen it I've seen it I've seen it really work. So, for instance, in my department, uh, uh, we I have going through the department uh, at least half a dozen students a, a, a semester who. Are working on either research projects or, or doing real jobs within the department. It's not just photocopying and stuff, but actually doing doing a real supervised uh, uh, work assignment. And then they move back into into uh, uh, university for a few months. Uh, maybe they rotate back into my department. Maybe they rotate rotate back somewhere else. But this is governed uh, uh, in, a, in a in a partnership between the company and the university. And 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 what I found illuminating for me as a as a manager was you know supervising somebody's dissertation um i was their corporate dissertation sponsor so so in the same way that the professor would read the dissertation i i would i would you know read the dissertation of the of the student and provide you know guidance as to you know did this you know what they've researched did this did this you know fit in the work context you know is this is this uh, relevant and I, you actually are are a supervisor of that of that uh, of that research for, for that student which goes towards their final mark and and what happens is you you build a a bond uh, uh, a, um, uh, a sort of almost an avuncular relationship with the student where you you're you're you're, uh, uh, you're mentoring them uh, about their career and 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 you're 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 bringing that into their university experience so that and 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 uh, what it gives uh, uh, us is it gives us a three-year interview with the person, so that by the time they 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 finish that cycle, they, they they're ready to to hit the you know hit the workplace running, and hopefully if we get on, they hit our workplace uh, uh, our workplace running, and, and and this is something that I think permeates throughout uh, most of German industry, and I, and I think it's a, a reason for. The, the the continued uh, innovation and 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 so on uh, that comes out of out of uh, a German uh, a German industry and I think it's the reason why the the unemployment rate amongst uh, the uh, youth is so low in Germany is because they are coming out of the education system with with, with a skill set that will get that will that will uh, uh, make them uh, uh, employable. Thank you, yeah. Patrick Heffernan. 
Yeah, I, um, it's funny, actually, um, as it happens, I grew up in Germany, uh, so I, I, I was going to an American school, but I can recall uh, hearing and being taught about how different uh, the German education system was and how it was, even back in that day, was set up um, with, with this, the exact thing that Thomas just described. And um, it's fantastic. We have technical high schools here in the U.S. Um, a technical high school allows you to get that kind of uh, hands-on experience with um, you know, doing car mechanics and, and, and engineering and stuff at a, at a basic level, but it's not anywhere near um, what Thomas was just talking about. And I think that's absolutely uh, a practice that hopefully will be adopted more frequently in the U.S. It's, it's a great idea. Okay. Alan Kranz, thoughts on this? Education? Sure. Um, but, I mean, p- part of my other points around this were that the culture for the, the country really drives a lot of this, that it isn't business or HR in a vacuum, it's part of the overall personality and, and, and real culture of the country that drives the, the business environment. And so I think certainly that's reflected in the, the German system where it's, um, you know, in the U.S. We have, we have a problem getting to people to nail down what they want to do. Uh, a lot of liberal arts, not as much of the um, science and technical and computer science uh, interest as a culture. You know, we just still have that kind of, um, you know, free thinking, uh, we'll figure out the job later on and, and we'll get the degree first, whereas in Germany they're sorting people much earlier on in terms of you're going to college, you're going to technical school, um, and not being as open in terms of, you know, the, the, the whole culture is driven around efficiency and, um, and precision. And so I think that's reflected in a lot of the, uh, structure for the school uh, and the strong correlation between the universities as well as the um, the, the the industry, um, and so I think you know we've seen other uh, you know it is a great way, um, particularly where I, I think Germany has a lot of that built up. There are other uh, emerging economies where uh, the con- connection between university and industry is a great way to find and build the skills that don't exist um, in, in new areas. And so you're seeing that take form and that model already be replicated um, in places like China um, and other emerging economies so that the uh, companies that are, that are based there or have locations there can actually get access to the skills because they're limited at this point in terms of that strong base of education and focus on profession um, in countries like you have with Germany. Thank you, Alan. You know, I, I have the option of taking a break right now, but I'd like to pass because we still have a lot of good information to share with our listeners. So, Alan Kranz, I'm going to call on you to talk about one more avenue. And this is a message to our engineer, Kevin. No break. We're going to go straight through. Thank you. Um, Alan, I'm looking at your notes, and you have a, a very brief bullet point. It says communication or not. And I referenced this in my monologue at the, st- at the top of the show, differences in U.S. and non-U.S. HR policy. So you're saying here one of the biggest things you have seen firsthand or read about are the differences in how to communicate in different cultures. And let's focus on feedback. 
feedback, that, that brutal thing HR has to do. I think one of our panelists said he's preparing, was it you, Patrick, preparing a, a, a review for somebody, right, for an employee? Right. right. And it's just hard to do no matter what language and what culture and what con- country and what company. Uh, Alan Kranz, you want to just very briefly talk to us about your observation about HR communication style? I don't even know if it's a policy. I think it has to be a mm. style tied to culture. What do you see? It is, but I think it also, you know, uh, d- during the show, a, t- a tweet actually came in uh, in response to Patrick that said, I didn't know that formal performance reviews still existed. Thanks for, uh, thanks for calling that out for me. Um, and I think that's kind of reflective of in the, um, in the U.S. where there, the feedback really never ends, that there's continual, you know, we like to say if, if we get to your review and there's a problem that you don't know about, then that's, that's a problem on us. It should be continual in terms of pointing out things that you're doing right, pointing out things that you're doing wrong, um, and accepting that as part of the uh, the way that the communication and feedback occurs um, occurs in the U.S. But you know, as as we've interacted with uh, executives and uh, customers in in other regions, you don't get that same level. You'll you'll provide. Um, feedback and they'll, they'll give you a quizzical look and, um, you know, really internalize and kind of stew on it for a little bit, whereas um, I think we, we're more accustomed to the immediate back and forth in terms of, you know, well, I see it this way. And the opinion is much more uh, individual-focused. Uh, it's less team-focused. Um, and the the way to deliver feedback is much more indirect in a lot of cultures, and so that's different as you get into how to effectively nurture and communicate with employees that are outside the U.S. That the while the performance review may still be in place, it's going to have a lot different meaning for uh, certain countries than it does in the U.S., which is really just kind of a formality that gets filed away. Um, in other cultures, it's really, you know, that report card that speaks a lot in terms of their value as a part of that team uh, and not just the focus on the individual, but really being a part of that team, which is another uh, kind of element that we see as much different as you get outside the U.S., that it's more of a team mentality rather than the individual uh, as a standalone part of that uh, organization. Thank you. Thomas Otter, thoughts on communication in, from the HR world? Um, it, it, indeed, uh, going back to that, to sort of loop the circle back on, on, on World Series sport, uh, one of my favorite mo- uh, movies uh, is Moneyball. And uh, one of the scenes, you know, there's all the great sporting scenes in, in Moneyball, but one of the scenes that, 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 that sticks in my mind was the, was the scene where, they, where they're selling a player, you know, and uh, the guy was agonizing, the, the youngster, you know, the, the statistician guy was agonizing about how to tell the guy. And, um, and uh, his boss said, you just tell him, you know, tell him you're traded. And uh, that's the end of the conversation. And, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, this um, uh, need to be, um, uh, need to understand who you're communicating to, I think is, is, uh, is so important. Some of it is, is, is cultural but a lot of it is is also down to to how the individual how the individual person themselves behaves. So I think one has to be careful of of, of having uh, uh, cultural uh, and or national stereotypes when it comes to to evaluations. But I think there are some there are some uh, uh, interesting themes. So with 
with German colleagues, I, I found from my own personal experience that, that, that on the feedback side, less is more. Um, uh, uh, Germans tend not to expect uh, feedback for doing their job okay. You know, if the person is executing effectively, they don't expect feedback. Uh, they expect feedback when they're failing. And so the, you know, the American managerial habit of, 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 of or in many cases, the habit of constant praising uh, for, for, for what is a, what, what I offer just doing my job is seen by uh, Germans as, as, uh, as irritating. And uh, they, they're often much better at taking um, uh, that harder criticism, but they don't expect the, 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 uh, 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 the, the platitudes uh, or, the, or, the, or the positive reinforcement type behavior. And this is a challenge when you have a German managing um, uh, Americans because uh, Americans tend to, to, to want that, that, that positive feedback. It's, it's a key part of, 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 of how you, how you uh, uh, work with and manage uh, Americans is positive feedback. Whereas uh, in, in, in my experience, uh, uh, Germans don't give that kind of feedback uh, uh, willingly. And you have to, if you're coaching a, a German who's managing Americans, you, you need to make sure that that, that, that German is, is or uh, understands the, the, the need for, 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 for uh, that, that, that positive feedback within the, within the uh, uh, American uh, American culture. So, I mean, it's easy to criticize Americans, but actually I think, I think, I think, Managing Americans as a as a as a foreigner it creates challenges challenges too on that on that on that uh, other culture. So it's a it's a it's a it's a two way uh, it's a two way thing. It's not just how do Americans deal with 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 foreign cultures, but but how do we uh, uh, as foreigners uh, uh, deal with uh, uh, work with and get the best out of uh, best out of Americans? Yeah. Thank you, Thomas. You know what? We are at three minutes till the end of the show, and I want to make sure everybody gets at least 45 seconds of prediction. So, Patrick Heffern, and you know the drill. I'm going to give you 45 seconds. What if we fast forward in this conversation to the year 2020, or what do you see in the crystal ball? Tom, uh, Patrick, go. Analytics and big data around HR and all the pressure on employees to drive their own professional development is going to lead to fewer people leaping from one kind of job to another type of job. You know, you meet somebody who's got like an engineering degree and they're doing sales for a global consulting firm. That's never going to happen in the future. You know, you get that engineering degree, the HR the systems, the analytics, the big data around it is going to channel you right into those jobs that match your degree. It, it, it's, it's coming. It's going to happen. There's not going to be too many renaissance jobs left in the world. Thank you. Whoa. Alan Kranz. And Alan, favor, please forward that uh, tweet about is there really such a thing as a formal performance review? Would you forward that to hashtag SAP Radio? I'm dying to see it. Alan, 45 seconds predictions. Go fast. So I, I, I think you're actually going to see uh, the U.S., uh, more changes in the U.S. than you are outside in terms of the way HR is being conducted and, and run. If you look at the, the, the forward-thinking or even historic uh, legacy about the education and structure and feedback and nurture, that the U.S. is going to be adopting more of those as it looks to balance and overcome some of the shortcomings of the, the HR policies today. Okay. Thomas Otter, 30 seconds. Predictions. Just give me three sentences. Go. Uh, mindfulness goes mainstream. 
Oh, I like that. Boy, you really came through. Thank you very much. Guess what? My predictions are a little longer. I predict that I'll be back at 3 o'clock this afternoon, Eastern time. And it is a beautiful day here in New York. I think we're inching up towards 60 degrees and the snow is melting. Yes, we'll be back with Internet of Things with Game Changers, 3 p.m. Eastern, talking about mining and Internet of Things, IoT and mining, revolutionizing an industry. Great um, for, we get information. Tomorrow morning, we'll be back with Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. And those of you not familiar with what we do, on Tuesday, we have Digital World with Game Changers, Transforming Your Business with Game Changers. We also present Industry Cloud Trends with Game Changers, Business Innovation with Game Changers, and Game Changing Women. And we have a cycle of lots and lots of shows. So if you're interested in becoming a game changer, you want to tune into one or more of our series here on the Business Channel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Shout out and gratitude to Patrick Heffernan and Alan Kranz at TBR Thomas Otter, thanks for joining us from the UK, from SAP, Kevin and the Business Channel team, appreciation. And here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for Coffee Break with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. <music>